Rubyisms. This is going to be a different kind of episode. We're going to talk about some of my approaches to life, I guess. I kind of am always just jotting down different things that I think are important or sort of words of uh, wisdom of some sort that I think help guide me or views that I have of the world or sort of little life philosophies. Uh, And I call them Rubyisms and I collect them and then uh, eventually, you know, sometimes wind up publishing them. And so I thought it'd be fun to get together with our producer, Jeremiah McVeigh, and uh, discuss some of these Rubyisms and see which ones he thought were worth having a dialogue around. Hey, Jeremiah. Hey, Matt. Yeah, I like this idea. So I, I selected some. Some of them I chose because they're things I might relate to. Some because I maybe I don't quite get it and just want to get the lowdown from you about what it actually means. Uh, some I want to just hear an example of of the thing from your life. Maybe uh, I thought that would be interesting, and like how you kind of came to that truth of the Rubyism, okay. so to speak. And I guess like some, maybe I just saw like a connection to other discussions we've had that maybe we could refer back to even along the way. We'll see. So I guess I'll just jump in. The first one is when we ran out of needs to fulfill, they started manufacturing desire. And yeah, this one is uh, one that seems like one of the major themes of this podcast sometimes, honestly, and, and of your writing. So I just thought we'd start from there. Yeah. Um, I think so to zoom out again, it's, you know, goes back to a lot of like our capitalistic society. And I I think I come off sounding like I'm anti-capitalism. I'm not, I'm just like, think we need to recognize what happens when there's this endless need for growth, when success is defined as growth. And then you kind of have to constantly be putting everything on steroids and constantly expanding everything. And, and, you know, you kind of lose sight of things that are appropriate or, you know, uh, there's a concept in Swedish called lagom that I just learned about, which is basically just the concept of enough, you know, which doesn't seem to exist that much in our society. It's interesting to me that, that there is, I guess, appropriate is the closest we have to that. But yeah, I think, uh, our bodies, you know, were made uh, we're designed for an environment of scarcity and we now live in an environment of abundance. So whereas it used to be sort of, uh, incumbent on us to seek things out and find them. And that was the challenging part. We now live in a society where we almost have too much. And, uh, oftentimes the challenge is like, what can you let go? What do you not need more of? What are you willing to reject? Um, and maybe most of all, you see this in food, you know, it's like, you know, our, our love of sugar and, you know, we love it so much because it used to be really hard to find and it used to provide us, you know, valuable things and we would seek out fruit and it would be this thing that was hard to get. And now it's just injected into so much of our food all the time in this way that like, now we have to start trying to figure out ways to avoid it. Um, and so I think, you know, what what has happened in food in our society, I think is happening in lots of other areas in our society too. It's just not always as obvious because we don't always get to see this obesity manifested in some physical ways. Sometimes it's more of a psychological way. Um, so that to me is, is sort of what I, is being said in, in that phrase. Um, how's that? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it gets back to the idea of like, what are your needs versus what are your wants? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and once, yeah. So I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it makes a lot of sense. And like I said, it's, I think it's been a theme of this podcast and will probably continue to be. 
So. Yeah, and it's also like, is this some like who is this good for? Is it good for you, or is it good for the people who are making money off you right. doing that thing? Right, right. Uh, social media. Um, <laughs> so our second one is never underestimate the power of inertia. Oh uh, yeah, this is this is one I think about a lot. Um, there's so much weight in just continuing to do what you've always been doing. I think about this in terms of uh, moving. Like people are so often just stuck living where they live because that's where they've lived before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sort of like if you could start from scratch, would you do it the same way over again? I think is like a valuable question to ask. Cause I, yeah, I think so often in life, we're just continuing to do the same things because for no better reason than, well, that's what I've always done. And a lot of times that's ignoring sort of the fluidity of society and, and your context and your environment and that there's, uh, you know, whatever was right for you then might not be right for you anymore. Uh, but actually making that change, making that switch, doing, leading your life in a different way than you always have can be this incredibly challenging and disruptive thing and could also disrupt people around you or, you know, you know, other, others in your environment in a way that that can be tough. So um, I just think that question is something that's good to constantly be asking yourself. Am I doing this because it's the right thing to do now? Am I doing this because even if I was starting from scratch, I'd do it this way? Or am I just doing this because it's the way I've always done it? Right. I would also say, I, maybe this is just a different way of saying it, but I think it's slightly different. Maybe you, you tell me is that sometimes it's just a way to move forward finally because which i've seen in you because sometimes when we're working together you're often the person who's like why don't we just do something and then figure it out from there instead of like continuously planning because i think planning can be a form of inertia i think good planning is is key and ideal but like sometimes you just get stuck in that mode and you're you're often the person who is like Okay, enough planning. Let's do. Sure. And well, I think it's because sometimes planning can be like a form of resistance. It can be, in general, I would say this about like control freak tendencies, which I can have. Like oftentimes those can be a barrier, you know, to yeah. just preventing you from moving forward. And sometimes you just need, need, need to be like, you know what? I don't know exactly where this is going and we might get it wrong and there might be problems, but let's, let's move forward in some direction. And if nothing else, think of all the data that we will gain through that trial and error. And then whatever decision we make at that point, we'll have all this uh, new data with which to inform our decision. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely think that's correlated. Yeah, and I, th I think that actually, as you're talking about this, relates to a Rubyism that you've included in your newsletter, but I didn't actually pick for this, but it's something, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's something about put it on the calendar to make it real or something like mm. that. Like, so that, that makes you move the wheels again, I think. Definitely. Well, yeah, I think uh, that was actually like an ayahuasca revelation I had one time was, and I remember writing it down, put it on the calendar and being like, this is your big ayahuasca reveal is that you need to put things on a calendar. But for me personally, it is because like I'm, I'm very addicted to optionality, to leaving things open-ended to, you know, being like, well, I don't know what will happen then. So let me leave everything. And like, there is some power to like being like, no, on this right. date, I'm going to go to this place or I'm going to do something with these people or this is going to happen. And, and having that like sort of point on the horizon that you're sailing to, there can be a lot of value to that, that I think 
uh, as someone who is sort of like always being like, well, let's leave it open and see what happens. And we'll decide at the last minute that there is an opportunity cost to behaving that way. And like, uh, that there's something to be said for like, no, just, just make a plan and have it. So it's kind of, interestingly, it's sort of like uh, the antithesis to a little bit what we just said, but in my head, they're related. I think it makes a certain amount of sense. Things need a counterbalance sometimes. So I think it makes sense in that regard. And it's almost like a, a calendar item has its own gravity that pulls you forward or something. Yeah, it's it's a point on the horizon that you're moving towards yeah. as opposed to you staying put because you're like, well, we need to plan it better sort yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah. I, and the other thing I'll say is like the way it's phrased is never underestimate the power of inertia which means doesn't mean that anything you're doing out of inertia is wrong. It just true, means true. No, notice what it is. Um, yeah. So like I would argue that with relationships or something like that, just because you've been in a relationship for a long time, that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means right. like notice it and be like, okay, if I just met this person, would I still want to have this relationship with them? Or is the only reason we're doing this because we've been doing it for so long? Right. Being mindful is good. Yeah. Okay, so this is one that relates back to our last episode, and I brought it up then. So we call our medicine drugs and our drugs medicine. So I don't know how much we want to relitigate the last episode, but it, it's, I think, a very simple yet clever little saying that I think is true, and, and you could use it as a metaphor for other things too as well. Sure. Well, I mean, I think you get into... Uh... Who is naming these things is yeah. probably the valuable part of this. Like, why is one person a drug dealer and another person a pharmaceutical sales representative? Right. You yeah, know, it's and, perception, right? It, well, it's perception. It's also uh, deeper than perception. It's been cultivated. It's been yeah. created by some system, the healthcare system, the pharmaceutical companies, the legal system have all collaborated on some level to be like, this is the bad one and this is the good one. Right. And what we've seen over time is like those labels are arbitrary that like things we locked people up for marijuana and LSD. And now all of a sudden we're like, wait, those things are actually medicine that can help people heal and recover from their trauma. And then we have, you know, our drugs like Oxycontin or, you know, uh, you know, so many other things, pain pills that people get addicted to or opioids or whatever you want to insert here that have been billed as medicine and look how many lives have been ruined and damaged by them. And so then right. I, I think you get into who named them and why and who who profits from the things that we call medicine and and the things that we call drugs and the impact that that has i i something that i always bring up is uh, uh someone asked me about i feel like i'm uh, another theme that i'm often is i'm on this war against bullshit and someone asked me yeah. uh, when did that start or how, how did that happen and uh one of my first recollections of it was the uh the Partnership for Drug-Free America, which I don't mm -hmm. know if people remember the people who did, this is your brain on drugs and this is all yeah, the other yeah. stuff, uh, uh, anti-drug and just say no and so much of that stuff. And when I found out that the people who were paying for that was uh, Anheuser-Busch and Marlboro and <laughs> Philip, <laughs> Philip Morris and yeah. so many of the companies behind all that anti-drug messaging were the liquor and tobacco companies and realizing like, oh, they're not actually anti-drugs. They just want you taking their drugs. Yeah. And I They're think anti competition. That, yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. their way of like holding down the corner, just like, you know, Marlo yeah. on the wire or something. So it's like, then it's just sort of like, oh, well, like, let's look at who's naming these things and what these words actually mean. 
Yeah. I mean, there's two things that are, these are not like well thought out thoughts here. I'll just <laughs> say up front, but like how much did the decline of cigarettes, like in the public consciousness, like, you know, there was a, a good campaign uh, like in the nineties going into the two thousands to really let people know how bad smoking was for you. How much did that open up a lane for marijuana? Maybe also, I wonder how much the Sacklers and Oxycontin, like that, um, you know, terrible epidemic of addiction that they caused with that drug and the PR nightmare it ended up being for them, essentially, like how much did that sort of short circuit the idea of what drugs and medicine are for people of like, oh, this was a legal drug and look how much trouble it caused. Maybe we should be rethinking this of like, what is a drug and what is medicine? Yeah, that's interesting. Also, how long did it take? Like, think about yeah. how, how many decades did it take for us to finally figure out these tobacco companies were like lying to us and full of it and opioids right. and, how, you know, like, how, think of how much damage needed to be done, how much hurt right. had to be caused before we were finally like, hey, what the hell are we doing as a society? So, yeah, I, that's an interesting point to think like it sort of undermined sort of the the conventional view of of the, who's telling us things are medicine and things are not medicine. And and now, you know, it's like there's obviously dangerous sides to this, too, with, you know, some of the vaccine stuff that's going on. It just seems like everything's up for grabs now. No one knows who yeah. to trust um, or what to believe. And we're all just sort of like, quote unquote, doing our own research. And like, I, I think there's... Uh, dangerous paths there but that's part of what happens when like the establishment shows that for decades it's you know operating in a way that's causing harm to people like right, like right. i'm i'm not an anti-vaxxer but when people like are like well look at what the sackler family did for for decades and look at what all these other pharmaceutical companies have done i'm like i don't know it's kind of a decent point like am i supposed to just blindly trust pharmaceutical companies now like i i, I get why people are hesitant to just like you know swallow whatever merck or johnson and johnson is trying to give them yeah i mean i understand that ultimately i'm Pro vaccine, and I know yeah. you are too. So. Yeah, it, it's yeah. you know, but it's like it it can't just be a slam dunk of like, well, the pharmaceutical company said so, so you need to believe Absolutely. it. Absolutely, like, yeah. We're, I, that, we're, that was we're one thing. We're entirely entitled to be like, wait, how much money are they making off this? And like, yeah. what do we really know? And like, right, like also like we can keep learning and like be like, well, this is what we know now, and it's the right decision now. And like, let's not have refrigerator trucks parked outside of hospitals to store all the dead bodies. Let's get past that. And then, yeah, but you know, like, like, uh, like when people say trust the science, I'm always like, well, yeah, but like science is based on a series of questions of questioning itself of constantly testing hypotheses and and like let's keep doing that as opposed to you know being stuck in our silos just because it's you know uh, part of our political tribe or whatever right yeah i mean i think in the end it's always important to remember that all this comes down to when does capitalism kick in because like <laughs> i think in a way it's inevitable that cigarettes were going to have to go down uh, in terms of their their level of power, like the cigarette companies, I mean, because like how long can you keep profiting from a product that kills your customers? You know, like it you it's just not a sustainable business model, and we are a capitalist society, for better or worse, mostly worse. You know, like their marijuana is not addictive; it doesn't have the same side effects. I mean, I'm sure there are side effects that are going to become like much well, much more better known now that it is a legal drug and all that and you know whatever but like it's not 
cigarettes. It's not something like that. I mean, uh, you could also argue you can make money off it and that they're still making money off in other cultures, just not in America because of the, sure, the sure. class action litigation. Like the lawsuits may have been what actually yeah, m- yeah. made the cigarette companies act finally like, you know, sort of acquiesce in addition to, you know, the knowledge in society of of what was actually the damage that was being caused. But yeah, right. it's uh, it's you know, follow the money, and then also like I think the truth eventually comes out. So like I, that's my end goal with any sort of science stuff is like wh- what's true? Let's just get yeah. to the truth. Do we not know yet? Then let's keep studying and getting closer. Right, and yeah, and then I think as you kind of said before, do we know? Okay, well then let's keep looking still and make sure that we know and make make sure that we keep knowing and that if there's new data, we take that in and like adjust. But. Yeah, that's the thing that I think screws people up sometimes. But why don't, why don't we move on to one? Um, tension is a form of prayer, and this is one that I need you to explain to me. I'm not sure I quite understand it. Yeah, I mean, this one's a little bit more of a poetic one, I suppose. But uh, I'll talk about it in terms of two art forms that I love, which is stand-up comedy and rock and roll. Um, so within stand-up comedy, tension is. Uh, on some level, the cause of laughter. Like if there's no tension, there's no, the puncturing of tension, that's what a punchline does. So the setup is sort of building this tension and then the punchline is the release of that tension. Laughter is this primal sort of response to tension. Oh, there's something here that I'm not sure about or like it's surprising, but it's okay. It's friendly. Oh, and it's also like kind of true. And there's there's something about tension within a comedy show that to me is holy, that it's this, this sort of con- contraction or sort of like uh, thing that's that's uh, that's there and maybe like slightly uncomfortable or awkward or we're not sure what it is and then it gets relaxed and then that's that's when we get to that that pleasant release of of laughter um, and within rock and roll I'd I'd point to like a band like the Strokes um, which I think is masterful at sort of using tension uh, to sort of uh, w- within verses uh, and then exploding in choruses. I think you could also look at at drones like within um, like craft work or if you want to even go to like Indian ragas or things like that. And you have this idea of like just staying on on the same chord throughout um, like yeah. Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles is a great example of like there is no chord change. It's just sort of like this one sort of drone throughout. And, and within that tension, there's something holy that's getting built up um and so for me that yeah i think there i also i think it's something that as a society we strive to avoid so much that then it also starts to have so, like w- this fruitful uh value to it on some level so i don't know if i can explain it in like a really like logical like sort of analytical way but to me there's something about good tension i guess uh, like mm-hmm. when john lewis talks about good trouble something something uh, uh there's something useful in it that there is sort of like something that can be cultivated out of tension if honed and used properly that can be beautiful You can subscribe to or follow this show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or anywhere else that allows you to do that. And when I say that, I mean, like, leave it a good review. I feel like that's obvious, but if, you, if you're just going to leave it a bad review, you, you don't have to. Anyway, it helps others find the show, which I really appreciate. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at mattruby at hey.com. That's mattruby at H-E-Y dot com. And if you like this podcast, you should subscribe to the Rubes Letter, where what you just heard first appeared. You can find that at mattrubycomedy.com slash subscribe. And while you're at mattrubycomedy.com, you can also find links to my Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok, where I post clips of my stand-up and other stuff too. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.